Welcome back to the Grow With Tim podcast. I'm here with my dad, Steve Joyner, for what we haven't recorded yet, but I'm sure is going to be one of my favorite podcasts ever. talk about my dad a lot, sort of my first uh, unofficial business coach, unpaid uh, business coach and mentor and dad, certainly most of all, but has been a huge force in my life. And I am on vacation this week and with him and, and my mom and the rest of my extended family in rural Illinois. And so I have him in his home office today and he's agreed to answer some questions for me on, on what I hope will be one of the most popular podcasts we've ever done. So, Dad, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. For starters, <clears throat> I've talked about you on this podcast a lot. Why don't you take a minute and summarize what your businesses have been about, starting, I guess, with real estate a long time ago, and just summarize a couple of things that you've been involved in. I've been involved in rental real estate and dry cleaning and Coin laundry. And you started, you, you bought your first real estate when? 1959. And you were how old? 17. 17. In fact, you were old enough, I think, to buy it, but not to sell it. Isn't that right? Yeah, that was uh, some vacant lots that I bought and tried to sell. What happened when you tried to sell? Uh, I wasn't old enough to convey title. <laughs> so the realtor floated me alone so I could buy something else. So you you figured out using other people's money pretty early on. Well I didn't have any of my own. <laughs> how did how did so the realtor lent you some money. Um now I I don't know where credit credit cards weren't around back then, were they? Were there credit cards? I wasn't aware of them. I don't think so. So was consumer debt a big problem? Like now everybody has debt on their living room couch and their car and their TV and everything they put on credit. Was that a, was that an issue back then? I don't believe so. No, not like today. No, but you weren't, you weren't borrowing to buy a new couch. You were, you were borrowing to invest. Yes. So I think now in the 21st century, entrepreneurship is sort of a trendy thing to do. Like people have side hustles and everybody wants to be an entrepreneur or a business owner or have a, a side hustle. But You've been an entrepreneur for a long time, I think before it was cool. So how did you get started on this? Well, I couldn't uh, couldn't find a job. Went around to the grocery stores. And in those days, the high school kids bagged the groceries and carried them out to the car. And when I took my military physical, I was 113. So they didn't think I was up to the job of carrying groceries. <laughs> 113 pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't that old yet. All right. So, so you couldn't get a job. So then what? Well, I had gone. My dad and my brother had uh, started a janitorial service, and with some of the extra money they had, they bought a triplex. And one day, <clears throat> I was with mom, and we were driving by there. I was probably fifteen or so, and they were refinancing. Or I guess they were going to sell the place because my brother wanted to buy something. It wasn't something that would grow. Uh huh. You wanted to buy a boat or something. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I said to mom, I said, well, couldn't you refinance that and get a new loan? 
and take that money and put that on as a down payment toward another rental. Then I said, in two or three years, could you refinance both of them and go from there? And she said, yeah, you could do that. So, so I thought that'd be the way to go. And then my brother came to visit uh, one day and he left his Chicago Tribune. There was a full page ad of how Bill Nickerson turned $1,000 into a million. It's been updated with higher numbers now. But uh, So I bought that. I think it was something like $4.95. There's a book. How, a how he turned a thousand dollars into a million in real estate or something like yeah. that yeah, yeah i think i've seen it on your shelf yeah so so what was the timeline of that you you did that before you bought your first real estate you bought the book before you bought your first real yes estate. Mm-hmm. but but grandpa and your brother my grandpa your dad and your brother had real estate before that they had that one triplex okay i don't think i ever knew that that's interesting because grandpa was grandpa worked what for the railroad and he worked for the electric company i knew he did he delivered milk house to house so how did how did he get into real estate well as i said they had a little money left over from the janitorial business and they decided to to buy that triplex and did so did they end up taking your advice about refinancing or did they sell it so that uncle dick could get his boat or whatever that's to my memory they sold it okay so you started out in real estate at some point, you got involved in coin-operated laundry equipment and and coin-operated um, like laundromats and dry cleaners. How did that come to be? Well, I was on my, my way to Chicago to see the Cubs, and uh, I stopped at a realtor there by Reed Park, and I was looking for a business to buy, and they had a, a restaurant for sale, Four Richards a Coffee Shop and Restaurant, and I made an offer on that, and they refused it. Aren't and, you glad? Yes. <laughs> A restaurant would be a very different kind of business from most of the businesses you've had. More hands-on than the coin wash. Yeah, I'm sure. All right, so they refused that, so then what? So they had a coin laundry for sale. That was one that Dad was a janitor of, and he used to pay me $50 a month to go down and clean the washing machines and empty the dryer lint before school. $50 a month? Yeah. Okay. So, all right, so you you went to the the, uh, brokerage, you tried to buy the restaurant, didn't work. So then what? Well, I didn't have the money to buy the coin wash, but Dad got a second mortgage on his house, and he had acquired a duplex by that time. And he, I think, I bought that from him, and I gave that my equity, and that uh, the, the realtor took for my part of the down payment. So you had like a three-way transaction going you might say that okay and and this was just but a, so, so dad and i were partners then partners <laughs> excuse me in a <coughs> you were partners in a in a single coin wash yes so this is a laundromat with what 25 washers and dryers or something probably 30 30 okay. washers and... okay so then what that wasn't the end well then a few years later we <coughs> the fellow we bought uh, some of our equipment from was retiring, and I we bought his route where he furnished laundry machines in apartment buildings. So he would go around to a, an apartment building or a tower or something in a complex, and he would supply the machines, and he would maintain them and collect the money, and then split the 
proceeds with the building owner, correct? Yes. And so you said, I want to buy this whole route, which would have been how many laundry rooms? I don't know, probably 20 maybe. Oh, really? I, I figured it was bigger than that. Only 20 laundry rooms? Well, we didn't have the DeKalb Plaza yet. That was the biggest. It was a five-story, two buildings, five-story each. So, so you bought all of this equipment and the leases, the contracts in place, and then you were responsible to travel around and repair the machines when they broke and and uh, collect the money and keep them clean and whatever and then you would cut a check for a percentage of the profits uh, back to the building owners yes i didn't do many of the repairs at that time the fellow that we bought from had repairmen in different towns and they were they were employees or contractors no they were just a appliance repairmen that he hired so so how much did you pay for that business fifty thousand fifty thousand dollars and do you remember what your payback was on it $50,000, I mean, even today is still a significant sum of money, but that was probably a lot of money then. What year was it? Oh, 1970. So how long did it take to get your $50,000 back? Oh, probably two or three years, maybe. And I think, don't I remember you, so you borrowed for that. You didn't have the 50 We We bought it on contract, yeah. <clears throat> bought it on contract. So, so there was no bank involved. You just said, I'm going to agree to pay you X thousand dollars a month or whatever. Right. Okay. How long was the was the term? Uh, I don't remember. Maybe five years. But didn't you didn't you close on another transaction about the same time? Yeah, we had uh, put in a new laundromat next to the A&P store, and they suggested that we take in dry cleaning, and that would pay to have an attendant there. Cause our first store never had an attendant, so we did. So that. you had a dry. An, your first store was unattended. People would just come and wash their clothes and put in their coins or whatever. It was open 24 hours a day. We didn't have a key for the door. So the next one you thought you could do better if you had an attendant, and I guess they would, what, you could charge money to fold clothes and it would just keep it cleaner and nicer or what? Yeah, we didn't do much of the washing and folding at that time. But the only way to do that, to make that pay, was to be able to take in dry cleaning. Right. So you would take in the dry cleaning. It'd be convenient for people to drop it off there, and then you would drive it 20 or 30 miles or something. Uh, at that time, somebody picked it up okay. and took it and dry cleaned it and brought it back. To In another place. city, though. Yeah. yeah. So that was actually Kiwani. Kiwani, okay. So they would dry clean it, bring it back, and then your customer would come back and get it from you. All right. So that so so we were we were talking about your route transaction when you bought the the route of all these laundry rooms. You had another transaction on the same day. What was that? Or not the same day? Maybe not the same day. A month or two later. A month or two later. What What was that? Oh, that's a good question. Well, you had two, didn't you make two big, you bought two businesses? The route and the cleaner. The cleaner. So you started out, you bought this second laundromat, and you were shipping dry cleaning 30 miles or I don't know how far it was. And then eventually you said, wait a minute, with all the money I'm paying to, to for all this dry cleaning, I could just buy dry cleaners, right? No, it wasn't quite that way. The uh, We had trouble keeping a dry cleaner. We had uh, a couple of different cleaners that did for us. And when one quit, uh, we went to Johnny on the spot, and they agreed to do it. Then after maybe a year or two, they suggested that we buy the, the cleaning plant in town. They had most of theirs in Rockford. And uh, <clears throat> the terms they gave us were, were good. We 
for paying them about the same amount we were paying to have them dry clean. Plus, we had the other business, and that included another coin laundry. So you were buying an on contract from Johnny on the spot. Yes. And so let me make sure I got this right. You were let's. I don't have no idea what the amount was, but let's just say that you were spending a thousand dollars a month on dry cleaning bills because you would take from your customer at the laundromat. You would take in dry cleaning. You would drive it across town. You would pay them to do the dry cleaning on a wholesale rate, you take it back, you bill your customer at a retail rate, you make a little money. But let's say you were paying them a thousand dollars a month and basically you said, look, I can buy this on contract for the same thousand dollars that I'm paying now. I can actually not just get clean clothes, I can get a business that cleans clothes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That sounds like a good deal. So you bought the route. So now I've got two laundromats, then I bought the route, and then a month or two later you bought the dry cleaners. Is that right? Do I have the timeline right? I think so. All right, so then what? I don't think you were done yet. Were you, didn't you buy another laundromat or two in there somewhere? Yeah, we bought the, the Easy Wash uh, a little later. So what was it about laundromats that you liked? Well, the inventory came in by pipeline or <laughs> through water like, and electric and like, gas. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't have to handle anything but pop and a little soap that we sold through a vending machine. Yeah. And you didn't have to be there much. So what what did you do with all your time if you didn't have to be there much? I don't I don't really remember you sitting around a lot. Well, I remember going into the coin wash. That was the first place we had, and an older lady in there got off all over me, wondering why I wasn't in school. <laughs> I told her I had graduated. <laughs> After that, I sometimes if there were a lot of cars there. When I'd go by to stop to check things out, I'd take a little ride and wait till some of the cars were gone. But you weren't you weren't just sitting around or driving around looking at your your laundromats. What else were you doing? Well, in high school and after, I worked for a truck, local trucking company in the office. Worked there from five till nine until I graduated, and then it was full time. Five until nine in the morning. Five after after school. Oh, okay. Five in the evening. Okay. Okay. And so, also, also the last year of high school, I worked for Burgess Cellulose Inventory Control Department. That's a battery company. No, that's Burgess Battery. Burgess oh. Cellulose made paper mats. It's probably way before your time. They would make impressions in the mats. They wanted to make an illustration in an ad, and then they'd pour lead in that to make uh, print with. Okay. Got it. So. So you did those jobs part-time, but all the while you were building laundromats at what time? And you, you had real estate pretty early on because you talked about when you were 17, you bought some empty lots. So at what point did you decide, decide that that rental property was the thing to do? I thought it was a pretty good idea when Mom and I drove by the triplex Yeah, when I was probably a sophomore. While, you're, while you were building your laundromats and your dry cleaners you were also buying duplexes and triplexes and stuff right yeah and did you do most of that owner finance or did you have the cash or did you go to the bank uh neither we <clears throat> bought them on contract bought them almost all of them on contract from the seller so the yeah. owners would finance them for yeah. 5 10 15 years something like that so tell us about you still have a lot of property that you bought 40 or 50 years ago tell, tell us about a property that you have now what you paid for it and what rents you get now? Well, we got a triplex on Blackhawk that we loaned, borrowed money on. I think it was your mother's life insurance policy. Borrowed about $2,000 on it. Used that for the down payment on a triplex, and we still have that. So how much did you pay for that triplex, all told? 
It was around 17,000. It had a single family next to it also, so it was four units altogether. Four units for $17,000. You put down $2,000, something like that, and borrowed the rest from the seller. And what do you get in... Uh, and so one of those properties is no longer there. It burned down, I think. We've right? sold that before it burned. You sold it, thankfully, and then it burned down. So of the three that you've got left, let's say that you know they, you apportion out that value. Maybe you paid, I don't know, twelve or fifteen thousand dollars or something for it. What do you make in rent from that? We're getting around uh, between five and five fifty per unit. Per, per unit. So fifteen, sixteen hundred bucks a month on a. If so, it pays for itself every year or so, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> when, Which has been a lot of inflation. Right. Right. When I was growing up, we we uh, you had an old wooden speedboat that you stored in the basement of one of your properties. We always called the boathouse. Tell us about the boathouse. What'd you pay for the boathouse? It was about twelve five. Twelve five, and how many units are in there? Well, at that time there were two one bedroom units downstairs, and upstairs three sleeping rooms. But there was a vacant room next to one of the sleeping rooms, so we cut a doorway in there. To make a one-bedroom apartment, he still had to share a bath across the hall with another roomer. And then we walled off the end of the hallway and made that little kitchen in that for that one-bedroom place. So then we, and then the other one had, oh, it was an efficiency apartment for the third one upstairs. So now you have five units in there? Yes. Five units. So you paid, what'd you say, 12000 12, I think it was twelve and a half. Twelve and a half. And what do you rent that place for? Well, at the time we bought it, the downstairs units were getting 65 a month from each one. $65 a month? And what do they rent for now? Uh, 501 and I think it's 505 maybe on the other. And upstairs, four or $500 a piece? Uh, no, not that much. At any rate, it's paid off pretty well. It has. Uh, what's the worst real estate investment you ever did? Oh, I'd have to think on that. I don't know. Nothing comes to mind. They all worked out? I think so. A lot of your friends tried business. I mean, I was, I, I don't know that I know all about it, but I can think of some of my friends' dads and parents who tried to get into real estate, and they were not always as successful as you were. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people, a lot of people try real estate and it doesn't go well? What do you think they do wrong? Oh, I think they get tired of the tenant, and I can understand that. <laughs> a lot of headaches, but probably fewer headaches than employees, than having employees. Yeah. Anything else you think that is a secret to why real estate worked for you but didn't for other people? Well, you just got to stick with it, try to learn from others' mistakes. Both of your living children are entrepreneurs. Is it safe to say that you were intentional and purposeful about raising us to be entrepreneurial? I don't remember that either one of you had any interest no. growing up. And back then, I think you were probably disinterested, weren't you? I don't know. I mean, I probably wasn't interested in spending all my free time painting and cleaning and fixing ceiling fans and stuff. But I think it was interesting. But wouldn't you say that you did a lot of things to... Uh, encourage entrepreneurial thinking in us i suppose give, give us some examples what what are some things that you did to help us think outside the box and maybe take some responsible risks and earn some money oh i think i encourage you to buy a lawnmower and 
Mulans. I think it was when I was fishing trip to Canada that you bought your first rider at a at an auction. Yeah, it was. I think you were kind of surprised when you came back. <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> Proud of you, though. We uh, used two uh, wooden sideboards from a a um, waterbed that somebody left in an apartment to load it up in the truck, I think, when you got back. Yeah. We didn't have proper ramps, but those worked out all right. Maybe you've forgotten or it just be would just seem normal to you, but I think there were all kinds of things that you did. I don't know what you did for John and Sharon and Dan, but um oh I know some of the things. Like for John and Sharon, instead of just paying their college bill, didn't you buy a duplex and you said, Here, this is your you you manage it and you figure out how to turn that into revenue and that's supposed to help pay for your college bill? Yeah. Okay. I remember you you gave me a uh, virtual portfolio. I forget what they call those things. There's a technical name for them where you can you can trade real stocks and bonds. You research them and you actually buy and sell stocks, but it's with play money. But you can actually it tracks with the real world, and you can see whether or not. And you set me up with that probably when I was I don't know. 13 or 14 or something, we would go down to the library and look at Value Line, this big investment research book, and figure out what stocks we were going to put in there. And then I think, I don't know, lots of things you told me. I don't think most parents let their kids go door to door and sell stuff, but I would sell greeting cards and lawn. And then you, you, I was fixing computers. I think that was your idea probably, wasn't it? To put an ad in the news, in the classified section of that. Newspaper, I had a ad that said experienced teenager willing to fix computer problems, $25 an hour or something, and that was probably your idea. Well, Pastor Wood uh, said he thought you ought to build a computer, and uh, blame him for a lot of your start there. <laughs> yeah, but I needed your credit card to, not for the credit, but for the ability to transact business on the internet like i it was my money i invested my life savings to buy that first computer but you had to facilitate it well it was kind of that way with when i got the first duplex at 17 i couldn't borrow money and uh, the dad's attorney knew a retired school teacher and she had money to lend and so but all had to be in the folks name right well you did that a lot. You also are the one that told me to print my business cards two sides. You you, you introduced me to the idea of cross marketing before that was a buzzword. I printed one side on my business card as Tim's computer sales and support, and the other side Tim's lawn care and snow removal. Because you figured that if people hired me to shovel their snow or mow their lawns, that they might have computer problems, and when they flip it over, they'd say, "Oh, can you come in and?" Help me solve this problem, and that worked out pretty well. I had lots of customers on both sides of that business. So when I was a teenager, this was long before I was able to appreciate this for myself, but Pastor Wood, you mentioned Pastor Wood. He stopped me in the hallway at church one day, and he said, he said, Tim, you know, your dad's been a deacon for a long time, and he, uh, he shows up at deacon's meetings, and he just sort of sits over in the corner, and everybody's always got an opinion and they think we should do this and somebody else thinks we should do this and they're all um you know arguing for their opinion and steve's just over there in the corner just kind of sitting quiet and then usually eventually somebody thinks to ask well steve what do you think we should do 
and the pastor said, your, your dad just kind of sits there for a minute, and then he says, well, it seems to me as though X, Y, Z makes sense. And pastor said, usually everybody just got quiet and said, yeah, that's what we should do. And he said, uh, your dad is one of the wisest people I've ever met. And I don't think I, uh, I know I didn't appreciate that at the time, but I've come to appreciate that about you. What are some things that... Well, he was able to make a mistake too, you know. <laughs> what are some things that about you that most people would consider unusual that have served you well, kind of uncommon thinking, or I think there's a lot of this, but what are things where you look at the world maybe a little differently than most people and it's worked out for you? Oh, I don't know. I don't like to do with everything just because everybody else is. Yeah, that's for sure. What else? Oh, I don't know that I'm that, that different, am I? <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> How else do you think about the world differently than most people do? Well, I read it and believe the Bible, but uh, that's different than the society in general today. For sure. But uh, I can't think of much. What do you see? Well, let's, let's explore that for a minute. That was a question that I had down here, that your faith drives much of why you do what you do and, and I think defines you in a lot of ways. Um, how would you say that your faith has shaped your life? Well, it's given me a foundation, and uh, I can trust the Lord. And how has that played out in times of crisis or difficulty? Well, God's Word uh, has been a great source of strength and comfort. Can you give us an example? Well, when, when your brother and sister went to be with the Lord, we had leaned pretty heavily on him then. I was just thinking about that on the way up here when we drove through North Carolina on I-40. It was raining a lot like it was on that day. So to those of us, those of you that are listening to this and don't know our family, when I was seven, back in 1990, um, my brother and sister who were coming home from college um, were involved in a car accident and both went to be with the Lord in just a matter of seconds. On December 14th, 1990, I got to watch my parents um, react to that and really find strength in scripture. We memorized a lot as a family, memorized a lot, of, a lot, a lot of verses, verse cards at the breakfast table and dinner table. And on the way to church, we'd be memorizing and finding finding God's promises to be uh, true and reliable. And I think I watched uh, my parents run to God, not from him. And really their relationship, um, I think, with each other and with God got a lot stronger in the aftermath of that. But, Dad, what are some verses that you leaned on and maybe still do lean on as you lost your sec your oldest two children? Well, I suppose I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Probably one. There are different uh, passages. I'm thinking of Isaiah 12, uh, toward the beginning of the chapter, it says, I will trust and not be afraid, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. And those for you weren't just empty platitudes or words on a page or some sort of a good luck charm you found those to be true. Yes, definitely. We could talk about that for a long time, but I think my last 
question for today is what do you know today that you wish you knew when you were my age one thing was better to pay for things as you go along start borrowing money for things that depreciate so what i heard from you earlier was that you've actually borrowed quite a bit of money but it was always for appreciating assets not depreciating yes i think most people my age i think most people my age probably have i don't know that i have the stats to back this up but it seems anecdotally that they have negative net worth like they bought a whole bunch of depreciating assets on credit and they owe more than if they sold everything they have they can barely pay off their bills and that seems like a miserable way to live but you knew that when you were my age didn't you i suppose i'm looking for something more uh more recent that required the wisdom of years to obtain that i can uh i can short circuit well i remember a kid in grade school i think the light license plates uh, renewed the first of the year think everybody's i don't think they were staggered like they are now mm-hmm. and i remember i suppose there was grace until sometime in february and i remember mom and dad trying to scrape up 20 some dollars to get the license plate you got new plates every year then you didn't get the decals and that was a big thing and i decided i didn't want to didn't like have that. to stress out and yeah. scrape together to point out yeah so what did you what did you do with that decision you set aside an emergency savings account well, I was probably in kindergarten or first grade when I got a snow shovel for Christmas, a toy snow shovel, and I went to the neighbors and got a dollar for shoveling snow at the first place. That fellow owned a used lumber yard. He'd go by and see him pulling nails, bent nails out of all the wood. I thought that was pretty good, so I went across the street to our next door neighbor, and they said I could shovel theirs. Well, they had a hedge going along both sides of the walk going up to the house and as well as one side out by the street so that made shoveling snow difficult so you had to get the snow up and over the hedge well throw it under and that didn't work very well i was tired from the first job and so i I kept going up to the house to get my money and i kept (laughs) saying i wasn't good enough yeah i never asked them oh they're hurt to shovel their walks again <laughs> did they pay you the same dollar that the other guy paid i kind of think it was more like 75 cents sounds like the kind of customer you need to fire <laughs> but you decided that you were gonna take responsibility to earn more money than you spent so you didn't have to dress out about renewing your car tag someday yeah how do you think all of those early experiences of of uh working and taking when you were 17 you borrowed money and borrowed i mean you bought two businesses pretty much back to back and how do you think those kinds of experiences have affected your ability to create wealth later in life do you think those have an impact well i peddled papers too at one time i had a morning route and two afternoon routes and i think i learned that uh, you need to be careful with your money because it didn't come easy right i'm thinking more about the making decisions and employing resources i think most people that have had jobs all their lives and they count on a paycheck every other friday the idea of borrowing even in today's dollars let alone 1970 dollars the idea of borrowing fifty thousand dollars or committing i mean in this case it was a contract an owner finance but assuming responsibility for fifty thousand dollars sounds really scary well the first coin wash was that was bank financed and uh, yeah it was scary because we were signing a 
a lease also, a five-year lease. And uh, So you were committing to pay rent to the building owner and committing to pay a mortgage to the bank, and you were depending on this business succeeding. Right. So how did you deal with that risk and uncertainty? How did you get comfortable signing? Well, I can't say it was comfortable, but <laughs> I thought it was worth the risk. And uh, I remember closing the deal at the bank. That's where Newell is now, the headquarters, or where they used to be. And uh, as I was leaving the bank, I realized, or maybe before I left it, I realized that the rent was due that day, for the, and we didn't have the $200 plus $16 parking maintenance to pay. So I went to one of the officers and explained the situation. I wanted to know if I could borrow that. And I said, oh, sure, sure, no problem. So they, they <laughs> bailed me out on that. But don't you think that most people that are used to collecting a regular salary and they probably have, they collect it on Friday and they might have it spent by the next Monday or whatever, but maybe not. But even even if they're responsible, the idea of signing a big note like that is is scary. So if somebody was thinking about that, they're like, well, I think I've got this opportunity to buy this duplex or a single family house or this laundromat or whatever, but I'm scared to borrow twenty, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars or whatever the number might be, maybe a lot more than that in this market, what would you say to them? Well do your homework and we verify things, make sure it's gonna pay for itself and uh pray about it, go from there. Good advice. Thanks for joining me on this podcast, Ed. You're welcome. Under duress. <laughs>